gives no Fs, and that's why you love him. It's Dave Koken on Cofield and Company. I love it. I love it. We need Koken to come in here and give no Fs. I just said during the break, uh, a couple of breaks ago with Adam, like I'm tired of holding back on this, this stupid... It's not stupid. The Russian invasion thing and people talking about Putin and these sports organizations and the drug testing. Like, can we stop dancing around it, please? And with the Russian athletes who have backed Putin over the years, up yours. And I understand what you were saying earlier. It's it's a whole different world. You know, there's a potential you could have your family damaged, offed. Executed, yeah. Yes. But, I mean, the counter to that is... You know what you're getting in, like right. If but you're the one who fear, went, but you're the one who went public, and unless yeah. they had a, the proverbial gun to his head to do that, then Ovechkin shouldn't have done it. Yeah. And this whole like he, he could have never imagined that he would invade. Really? It's been talked about for years. When China does it to Taiwan, we never saw this coming. There's been no signs. Nothing led up to it. Let's talk brass tacks here. Come on. Dave Koken's with us. Hey, Dave. How you doing, buddy? Very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm just annoyed, Dave. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. And if, you know what? I'll tell you what. The, I'll tell you the other thing I think people are holding back on. And I'm not saying you have to go into full freak-out panic mode. But can we look at the, the night's weekend and go, there's some trouble here. You can't lose a game to Zona. And then, it's, I mean, must win now is kind of crazy to say. But you, you give up a lead against the Avs. You lose the game. I mean... What do we do here? I mean, how do you react to this? Well, they played well against Colorado, but right. they had a bad one minute, basically. And that was the ball game, and that's the problem against Colorado is they're, they're just ridiculously good. They're the best team in the league. Uh, but there's, there's trouble with the Golden Knights. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. I think they will, mm. but it's not a sure thing. Let's put it that way. The Kings have clearly improved. The Avalanche are really good. Calgary is playing great hockey. Um, the good news is, uh, well, there isn't much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. What's your take on this, Adam? I, mean, I think uh, we just talked about this with Darren Millard. I mean, you look at the standings now, and, yeah, there's some questions for sure. Now, the positive side is the schedule gets much, much easier down the stretch, which should help the Golden Knights. They should get healthy, but we've been saying that for two months. For two months, it's been like, well, this team will be healthy soon, and then they'll turn it on. Well, when is that going to happen? Because it hasn't happened yet. So we, I think we need to see it before we can be convinced that that's the truth. Well, the thing is, they can't get through a game without an injury. Yeah. I mean, it's every game. Uh, and it's just, maybe it's new to uh, fans who are new to hockey, but really this is something that's old in every sport. It seems like every season there's a team or two in every league that just cannot stay healthy. And you keep on saying, well, eventually it's going to stop. And it doesn't. It just doesn't stop. And it kind of looks like the Golden Knights might be one of those teams this year. Dave Koken with us. All right, Dave, let's talk hockey in general. Uh, how'd you do this weekend betting hockey? Oh, I had a, a loss that I would rather not have had yesterday. I had Columbus against Pittsburgh, and uh, I thought it might have been my unluckiest loss of the year because the Blue Jackets, up 2-1, hit the post twice and had another goal stop on the goal line in the third period, then took a penalty, gave up a power play, and gave up a 
questionable goal. I think the, the officials got it right, but uh, uh, it was just a tough 3-2 loss. So I'd like to uh, put that one behind me. I got the Bruins tonight against the Kings. We'll see if it works out. All right. Uh, one more thing on the Knights. Uh, you're the one who six weeks ago said, uh, you know, this goalie thing, it might not be working out well enough to win a Stanley Cup. So where are you? You got three weeks until the trade deadline. What do they do? I wouldn't go all in because, quite honestly, they're not, as a team, I don't think they're good enough to win the Cup this year. Mm. I think they're, you know, anything could happen in the playoffs. We saw it last year with the Canadians. But on paper, they're not, they're not a top four team at this point, in my opinion. I think they're in the next group if they're healthy. But that's as far, and part of it is the goaltending. But the thing is, they'd have to pay a King's ransom, and there's not much out there. Flurry's not coming back. Uh, and who else of note is available? What are you going to do? Trade for James Reimer? I mean, come on. So I think it's, <laughs> it's kind of one of those situations where, well, let's get to the playoffs, hope for the best, and start putting together next year. I mean, you, you mentioned top four and then that next group, if they're healthy. You, you don't, I mean, I guess we, can't, we don't know unless we see it. But I would think on paper, if the team was healthy, if you told me they were going to be healthy completely going into the playoffs, I think I would put them close to that top four. Yeah, but not in the top four. Look, Colorado is the best team in the league. Yeah. Uh, Calgary, Calgary's good. I mean, they're, they're legit. So that's, in the way, that's just in their division. Yeah. Um, you know, you start factoring in the powerhouses of the other divisions. I, I just don't see it. Um, I think that they're, they're a very good team, but very good. Do you, do you go and mortgage the possible future for this season? And again, I don't know what's out there as far as a goalie's concerned. That's the one area that's the most questionable, clearly. Yeah. And I, I just still feel like when Leonard is healthy, which we've seen like six, six games this year, yeah. I, I mean, I still think he could be that guy. But it hasn't happened, just like the rest of the team. It just hasn't happened. Well, and the fact is that, that for Leonard to have the timing required for a run in the playoffs, I don't know, that, that gets shaky because he just hasn't played enough. Yeah. Dave Kokins with wagertalk.com, also does the DC and the Sunshine Man podcast on Thursday nights with myself at uh, 9 o'clock. Uh, let's close on this one. I have banned baseball talk from the show since the lockout, but every once in a while I'll lift it. Um, your take on what's actually happening happening here in terms of the negotiations? What do you think the owners are really looking for? They want to bust the union. That's what I I've been saying all along. The players basically aren't asking for; <laughs> they're almost asking for less than they've already got. Uh, it's they owners are negotiating in bad faith, and they're I, I I am I cannot be convinced otherwise of this. I believe they're trying to break the union. And I saw Bryce Harper joking today, asking the uh, Yummy Area Giants if they, uh, you know, they got anything going on there because he might have some time to kill. Well, it appears that he will. Um, and the owners don't care. I mean, uh, when, when I hear the, the fans saying, well, you're going to – players and, and owners are turning the fans away from the game. It's only the owners, and they don't care. They don't care. They're going to make their money regardless. Will they if no one shows up when they come back? Is the, is the TV yeah. money that big a portion they don't even need the live gate? Yeah. They, they don't have to sell a ticket. 
They could just close. The, they could close the stadiums and they'd make money. They've got go. a great. They've got a great deal. And they want they, but they want to bust the union. They want total control. Which I guess, if you're an owner and you feel like you can get away with it, I don't know. I mean, I'm not in that position. Uh, if I were, I don't know. Maybe I'd be doing the same thing if I held that level yeah. of power. Um, so I'm not gonna. But there's no question who the bad guys are in this. Dave, appreciate it. I'll talk to you on Thursday, okay? Okay, sounds good, guys. WagerTalk.com. Dave Koken. Uh, yeah, if they if they start canceling regular season games, which I guess is coming up here in a couple of days, count me out. I'm not going any. I will not. I will not go to a major league baseball game this year. And I usually try to go somewhere in Southern California. I am completely out. So still, you don't you don't you don't care. You, you like you don't. You're still going to go. Of course. Why? I love going. What do you want me to do? You can't make any sort of statement by not going to a baseball game for a year. Well, there might not be a season, so that I wouldn't go. But if there's games, when they come back, if they come back a month late, you're still going to go to games. I'm not buying. You're still going to line their pockets. God, you're. What are you doing? Oh, only buy a secondary market. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Can we seriously sit here and look at him and find fault with how he has played? I can't. And I'm not saying he's perfect every moment, but playing hard, going all out, producing digits. At age 37 in his 19th season, half the time without Anthony Davis, this is not the person that Los Angeles Laker fans should be booing. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. What are you going to do, Stephen A.? You know, soft, soft New York fans. <laughs> Just because they don't do it in New York, they do it in L.A. And they do it with the Lakers. And I'm kidding about Stephen A., but I think something a lot of uh, Northeasterners who believe, and I'm from the Northeast, so are you, but they believe they're the center of the universe when it comes to sports fandom and intensity. L.A. is very intense, and Lakers fans are very intense. And frankly, I don't know that many of them have ever considered LeBron a real Laker, like a lot didn't want him and he's on the heels of Kobe and they're not playing well. And he's leaving the game a couple of seconds early. So he gets booed. I mean, I think it's stupid, but he got booed, right? They're good sports fans everywhere. They're bizarre. They're clearly not having the year that they're not. They're having a terrible year. So, you know, you gotta listen to it. Sorry. Uh, I want to bring in one of the cool stories out there. uh, Sports center anchor, Max McGee, we'll talk a little sports, but we wanted to talk about his story because everyone's story about getting to the highest level in the sports world and the media is a little bit different. Max, how are you doing? It's Steven Adam here in ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, we appreciate you coming on. Um, so, listen, we know some people, you know, who have, uh, you know, throughout the industry and, you know, they get to the, the top level, they get to ESPN, get to do Sports Center, and everyone's got a different path. Some, you know, dad kind of gives them the, the head start, right? They get to move up really quickly. Your story is like, <laughs> many others where you, you know, you had to freaking take a hard road and this has happened pretty quickly for you. And I love that a lot of your background before getting into the sports world was in the food service industry. I mean, yeah, I'm, I heard you guys are, are big foodies too. So that I'm, I'm glad that I'm on the show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was working at famous Dave's barbecue and uh, Capitol grill uh, steakhouse about five and a half years ago in July 2016, and I was just trying to, you know, bust my butt to to break into the business. I just graduated from uh, Temple University um, about 14 months prior to that, so it took me about 250-plus applications just to get 
my first TV job. Now, a lot of people, when they Google me or whatever, they may think that I just went from Famous Dave to ESPN, but that wasn't the case. It took all these applications just to get me to Lake Charles, Louisiana. And uh, I didn't know where Lake Charles was, man. And, you know, when they said, you want to come to Lake Charles, I, I had to go onto the Louisiana map and then squeeze it on my iPhone to figure out where it was. And I found that it was southwest next to, to Texas. And But I, I knew it was going to be hard. But, you know, at, at that point, I really didn't care. Um, I was just doing whatever it took to, to get into the business and and live with the results. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely blessed be here in Connecticut, here at ESPN. Yeah, I, uh, I give you a lot of credit because it's not an easy road, and uh, I'm a lot older than you, but you know, going to school some 30 years ago, a lot of the people I went uh, to school with who worked for the radio station and the newspaper uh, back at Rutgers, right up the road from Temple, a lot of them were like, it's just not worth my time. Like, I can't take five years or three years uh, to go to smaller markets, and I just I can't do it. So credit to you. I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I had a lot of support back at home. Uh, a lot of people, when they see, you know, me on TV, they, they don't see uh, the village that it took um, behind the camera in order to get me to ESPN. My mom and dad were were instrumental in my success so far. Um, they've always held me down when I was getting too high, and they, they held me up when I was a little bit too down. Uh, I remember when I told them, hey, I, I want to move from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, to Calcasieu Parish, Louisiana, 1,400 miles away for a, a job that pays $14 an hour. And they didn't blink. They said, okay, let, let, let's see what, what you got. And um, you know, I, I had to go through my bumps and bruises just like everyone else. I was there for 11 months before going to Myrtle Beach, and then I got rewarded when I got to Baltimore. And, you know, this is the ultimate dream come true um, to work for ESPN. I had my debut last night, and, you know, I still feel like I'm dreaming. But, um, you know, it, it's been a whirlwind. It's been it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I saw some of the response, uh, Max McGee, on Twitter. And, you know, I saw, you know, some people who are pretty well established in the, the broadcast world, former athletes turned broadcasters. Um, aside from that, like what sort of people have reached out to you? Have you gotten some stories where, you you know, you you realize, hey, you know what, I, I can be an inspiration here? You know what I mean? I didn't. You know, a lot of people keep saying inspiration, and that's not really the, the path that I was really set to um, to intend to, to do. I was just trying to work as hard as I could. Right. But, you know, as far as the people that reached out to me, you know, I was really taken aback when, you know, Scott Van Pelt reached out to me. And I've been watching Scott for, for years. And uh, he found my story on Twitter. And he messaged me directly and just said, congratulations. Uh, welcome to the family. Uh, you know, Kevin Nagandi, I've been uh, working with him for the past few weeks now, but I've been watching him for years, uh, especially since we had that Temple University connection. Um, and, you know, just, just random people just saying congrats. And, you know, it really hit me when Woj followed me <laughs> on Twitter yesterday. So, you know, it's, it's just the little things like that. You know, this guy drops trade bombs all day, and, you know, he's one of the more popular uh, figures in sports with, you know, 5.2 million followers. So, you know, for him to reach out and say hello, that, that, that was real big for me. And we, you know, we should go a little deeper for the audience too, and the audience sees it. Um, in sports media, we do have a diversity issue. It's funny on Sports Talk Radio, we talk all the time about the NFL and you know the lack of diversity and hiring. Like we have our in Sports Talk Radio, we're horrendous. We just are. And I like the fact that you mentioned earlier your family had to support you. This, I think, forever. This has been an industry where if your family had a little bit of money, then you could take the tough road. 
If they don't, then you are really in trouble because there's going to be a period of a couple of years where you're not going to make a whole lot of money. And I think that, again, that goes back to the whole lack of diversity uh, across the board in the sports media. It is you have to tough it out early on. That was that was uh, the biggest challenge for me. And I've always heard the horror stories of, you know, you have to move away from home and you have to make $14 an hour and. You know, some people move to Texas and they make $23,000 an hour, despite you having a, a four-year college degree. And some people go to master's school and all that. And, um, you, you know, I, I think it's a travesty for what the industry uh, does to people in local news because a lot of people get into the industry, have a lot of talent, but they get burned out because, you know, the path that they have to take and, you know, the financial loss that, they, that sets their family back. I was incredibly fortunate, man. My parents didn't have all the money in the world and, and thankfully i had a little bit of money on the side from you know saving up from capital grill but uh, i remember one day uh, i was on my balcony just in tears on with my mom on facetime and she paid my rent that month and you know she never did it again uh because i did everything i could to you know just make it work whether it be um you know eating pasta four or five days a week and, and not going out with my friends and all that, sometimes you just had to suffer. You had to make a decision whether you want to put gas in your car to go to work or, you know, or, you know, just do groceries for that next week or two. But, um, I was fortunate and, um, thankfully I don't have to live like that anymore, but you know, it's, it's definitely one of those messages you give to the kids who are thinking about entering the industry one day. Um, hopefully you don't have to go through what I did and what, thousands of others did but you just be prepared for you know the grind at the head what's the most fun you had at famous dave's or capital grill working oh man i remember i was at capital grill Lashawn mccoy walked in and everybody looked over to the to the front entrance because it was Lashawn mccoy he had uh you know his crew with him and you know they were super nice uh i remember i met bobby clark at famous dave's uh, Brian Dawkins walked in, and I'll, I'll never forget when Brian Dawkins walked in because you know his muscles walked in first, and uh, <laughs> I thought that it was—I thought it was—I was gonna get like you know that Weapon X, uh, X Men mentality walking in. I didn't know him personally, but he was just the nicest guy ever, um, real soft spoken. It, it's really interesting to see, you know, celebrities walk into the restaurants or athletes walk into restaurants because they have. a a completely different personality than what they display on the field. That's just what they do. Uh, And I just kind of learned how to treat these people just as what they are. They're people. By the way, was there ever a moment when you were at Famous Dave's or Capitol Grill where you were like, you know what, maybe I actually want to stay in this and become a freaking pit master or a a chef? Because I I will tell you, like, I I love what I do and it's easy and it's fun, uh, but I'm also titillated by other jobs. And and when I watch all these TV food shows, I'm like, man, it would be cool to be a chef. Dude, there is absolutely no way. And I don't mean that in any disrespect at all. The restaurant business was hard. I don't know why I did it for seven years. It's probably because I was a server and it was just like constant cash that, that you get handed every night you can always walk out with some type of dollar but i still have dreams of you know server nightmares and being in the weeds you know party of 10 and party of 24 coming in and you know the food comes out and they don't have drinks yet i still get those nightmares so you no know, I, I can't be a pit master or anything that's not for me i love ribs 
and I love barbecue. I love Famous Dave's, but um, and I, I sure love Capitol Grill. You ever been to Capitol Grill with that lobster oh, mac yeah. and cheese? Oh my god! So, I, you know, it's funny. I I have, and somehow I got roped into treating for the whole table. So yeah, my memory was, right. my memory wasn't that great. It, it is a great restaurant, um, <laughs> but I somehow I got stuck for like it was like three of us for like a four hundred fifty dollar bill. I don't. I, I think I lost a bet or something. But it's a it's a great place. You need new friends after after putting that bill oh. out, man. They got me. I'm, I may have, I'll be honest, I may have been working towards something else. I don't really want to get into the details. One of the guys had a hot seat. <laughs> it was a long time ago. My girlfriend's listening now. It was, a long, it was, like, it was like 25 years ago. <laughs> These things happen. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, we, we talked about the, you know, the memories from a restaurant. Have you had a moment on the air? Like, have you had a story that you talked about that you were like, wow, this is, this is really cool. This is a big moment of my, you know, kind of arrival at, at ESPN? Uh, you know, I've only been here for about a month and my debut was was last night so i haven't had that particular moment of arrival i guess yet um but i can tell you this i haven't i haven't told a story uh like this yet you know how espn is a is a big campus it's over 140 acres and you never know who you're going to run into um and they have a giant cafeteria i'm walking out of the cafeteria on friday and mark messier just walks by (laughs) and this guy just walks by. We we give a, a head nod. He doesn't know me. I don't really know him. And then you just walk away. There, there's one of those moments like that almost every other day. Like Mark Messier, one of the, the greatest athletes ever. And you just walk and walk by, give a head nod, and and, and keep it moving. Um, so that was my one of my welcome to ESPN moments. You never know who you're going to see, who you're going to meet, um, and and that's what kind of the special thing about being at the worldwide leader is that's actually kind of funny it's you know a friend of ours out here doug kazarian who does the espn studio in vegas uh kind of tells the same thing about it's not really the on air it's the walking around campus and you see just not only analysts but just guests that are coming in to do you know car washes and things like that just around the building that you see all the time it's got to be a very cool woman and it hasn't Hasn't gotten old yet for you because you're you're still new there. I'm sure one day you'll be like, oh god, this guy again. <laughs> I mean, I keep hearing the stories, you know, of what before the you know, the era of COVID when you know the people like Adrian Peterson will walk in or Usain Bolt would be racing employees in the parking lot. And <laughs> I've heard that those uh, this is Sports Center commercials. Uh, some of that stuff is actually real. You never know. It's just it's just a bizarre place. And if you've ever been to to Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, you know, it's not really much action uh, going on here on the East Coast, especially in Bristol. But when you walk into that ESPN bubble, man, you just—it's uh, just a surprise every other day. It's, it's special. Well, congrats on this. It's a really cool story, and uh, let's get you on down the road. We can talk some uh, some Philly and Baltimore sports and sports in general. Thanks for a couple minutes. No, no problem, guys. Anytime. There he is, Max McGee. Really cool story. Uh, you'd say quick ascent, but uh, it ain't easy. No. And listen, when people out there are listening, you have regular jobs. And that's why I always say um, for you know people in sports, if you ever hear the complain about their jobs, just tell them to shut up. Yeah, for sure. Just, please. I was telling you the other day, um, you know, we were out at the uh, Finley North uh, VW, and I was talking to one of the salespeople and, and was just kind of chatting them up about selling cars because I did it, I don't know, 20 years ago in between radio jobs. And then you fired back with what? Uh very often. Now, if it's crowded, I won't do it. 
But if they're if it's just like me and yeah. I haven't gone there in a while. Yeah. But if I go into like a subway where I spent my formative years, and you're, I, you're oh, trying to chat them up, and you're well, like, well, I, make, I, was a, I was a sandwich artist. Well, because they'll be making a sandwich, and you'll 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 be like, you know, there's no there's nothing happening. There's quiet. You're just like kind of an awkward like waiting for them to. And be like, oh yeah, it's. I remember. I remember what I used to do it that way. Just kind of. Oh, you used to work here too. There's no. There's no like bond. There's a care. camaraderie. There's not. There's not a camaraderie. You made subs. You were a sandwich artist. I was once a sandwich artist too, my friend. Nobody cares. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. And there's wine already for tasting. And there's Cadillacs all shiny and new. I think you work in the food industry more than, than I did. We were just talking to Max McGee, who rose up you did the, the sports center. The soup stuff. But I was never really a server. Um, I, I worked concession either. stands, but Max McGee's on Sports Center now, so he was just talking about his past, you know, working in restaurants. Capitol Grill and, and Famous Dave's and places like that. And I made mean, uh, it. And, and I will say, and it, he wasn't going to answer it, but the flip side of it is, that is why there are people in the sports media who are like, oh, so-and-so's daughter, so-and-so's son. Hmm. Congrats. Good thing <laughs> you make good. I'm talking about so-and-so's son in the business, you know? So-and-so's yeah. daughter in the business. Huh? Congrats because on, I think on a lot making of, it like that. Because as, as you referenced, but just to, you know, to point it out, it's like there's a lot of times where a starting media job isn't, it's not complaining. I was saying right. a starting media job isn't going to support you and you might have to work 70, 80 hours or, for or less or, than. Or a second job. Right. But I'm, which, well, which if are, you're working 80 hours at, right. a, at a media job for like 20,000 a year, you're thing, not going to have another job. But, but here's the thing. That's a lot of people. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that's how the media business is. Oh, early on, no doubt. And so and, you unless, need to unless, have. Unless your father is in the business. And then, or has money to pay your bills. That too. And right. that's what I was getting at. That I also think that's a, that's a reason for a lack of diversity in the sports media. That right. you, I think you basically have to be or you had to be you know, middle class, upper middle class, or wealthy for your parents. I mean, I, I look at your world, mixed martial arts, and like I, I see people who have been doing it for 20 years. And I'm like, I don't know how you're still doing it. Like mommy and daddy have to be paying the bills because at some point you got to make money. Yeah, it, it's it, hilarious. Not I mean, I now. I'm sorry hilarious. that that business has like I think there's like what is there like eight people who are making so, a living. It's actually funny. I have a, a tweet that I've been like no one knew at it. Well, I have a tweet that I just composed that I haven't actually sent yet. Yeah. During the break, somebody that that was in the MMA, I think they're out now a little bit. Uh, tweeted out, I just saw someone post quote There's room for everyone in the MMA media. Find your niche end quote. And he goes actually. There's probably less than 50 jobs on the planet that pay a living wage for people to cover the sport. It's hyper competitive. And I'm, I responded, 50? Yeah. I don't think there's 10. It's like the same the same guys who were covering it 12 and 13 years ago hold, and women, hold 70% of the jobs, 75% of the jobs. There's a couple of new players here or there. Yeah. But. Yeah. I, 50 is way high. 15. And that said, there, this this should not come off as like, oh, woe is me. There are a lot of job fields that are super competitive. Yeah, right. Of course, and it's it's not easy to get in it. And you know, when people get pissed off about privilege, there are certain things. Privilege can be a lot of things. Privilege can just be connections. Now, I think you work for connections. I think you have to cultivate connections. Some people can be terrible at that. Some people can burn. 
bridge they have. Sure. You know? And then wind up, you know, having to bounce around 12 radio stations in one market. You know, you, but because there's a skill to that, too. Sure. You have to sometimes pay people until they figure out that you're not you're not warranted of being there. Yeah. And then move on somewhere else. Listen, man, uh, restaurant jobs are hard. They like are. Like you were saying. And I, I knew when I worked in restaurants or, you know, mall jobs. And it, I, I didn't want to do that. I almost dropped the app on there. <laughs> That would have been the first in like 26 plus years on the air, whatever it is now. More than that. Would have been solid. Sucks. That's the reason I finally broke. Then you can go be a chef. (laughs) That's it. That's the end of it. Then you you can get to your your stupid TV dream. Because God knows I couldn't be a chef. I can't cook. I have no patience. I I couldn't be a server because I can't remember anything anymore. Probably couldn't be a bartender because I would just yell at everybody. That doesn't sound like a good combination. No, none of it is. It's hard work. It is hard work. Um, is everyone boycotting Russian vodka? Because if you are, there's really no point. Yeah, I don't think so. Because most of the Russian vodka is only Russian in name and is actually made here. Of course. Or Canada. Of course. So stop. It's 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 like this is the people whose response after 9-11 was, I don't know what I'm going to do for the country. I'm going to just call them freedom fries instead of French fries. <laughs> like, Quite performative. Okay. okay. Ari, you'll be proud of me yesterday at a deli. I actually had the conversation uh, with them, you know, I'll call them my family. Um, you are. I got a turkey sandwich, and I was like, "Let me have a side of rut." And they looked at me, and they're like, Thousand Islands." <laughs> so I didn't get Russian dressing yesterday. That was your that's your contribution to the effort. I, I don't know. I actually, I I lied. I didn't say Russian dressing. I I did the bit in front of them. And they all looked at me like, "It's Thousand Islands. Just stop being stupid." Isn't there slight differences? That's what I was going to ask, since this is the fat pack. I think there are slight differences. I feel like, uh, is Russian dressing a little darker? We'll have to look it up. Is it relish? Well, I'll look it up. But is the relish the difference? Because that is one thing. Have you guys had relish in your Thousand Island dressing? I don't know. Let's look it up during the break. John Von Tobel's on the way. He'll get us into what the hell's going on with the Lakers right now. Is Yes, Lakers fans are pissed. They're booing LeBron. Uh, You got Russell Westbrook saying, basically, I didn't say he didn't care, but he's like, I'm not taking the, the fans' booze home with me, man. Like, you guys got to get it together. This is a bad, bad failure. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company. Being on the verge of being the next Kobe and Shaq, that was the wrong comparison. I'm looking I'm looking at Magic Johnson and, and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar right now. I mean, just because of when you put those two together, and when it comes to late game situations, picking rolls, clearing out the side, going two man game, I don't know who in the hell could stop those two. Same thing. Kendrick Perkins comparing Harden and Embiid to Kobe and Shaq. I mean, that's ridiculous. Come on. Let's go a little better than that. He's right. Let's go, Magic and Kareem. I've seen two games, John Von Tobel, with the two of these guys together. I'm sold. Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I guess sold is whatever, however you want to use that, right? But, like, they, they, we knew they were going to be good offensively. And then you just get that confirmed through two games. They're incredible. And it's funny. So I was talking about this on my show with Matt Humans, uh, the Edge on VSIN. 
you know, we have these conversations all the time, right? Where it's like, oh, we don't know how these two team guys will fit together, blah, 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 blah. You know, Embiid, Embiid's not really a, a pick and roll type of guy. He never really rolls to the basket and finishes. Well, you know, the good thing about great players is uh, they will adjust their game. And right. Embiid is doing just that. He, he right. has rolled to the basket multiple times, finished within four feet. Uh, James Harden, one of the biggest, and you're a big Brooklyn Nets fan, Steve. Uh, one Thanks. of the biggest like misconceptions about his time in Brooklyn he was willing to take the back seat. He was going to be a facilitator with Kyrie right. Irving and Kevin Durant. The numbers backed that up. And sure enough, you know, you see him yesterday, only 10 free throw attempts, had a really great performance and still took the bat seat to certain guys like Tyrese Maxey, who's had 20 plus points in two consecutive games. So uh, this is going to work out. Does it lead to a title? Who knows? But on the offensive end of the floor, this is going to be uh, immaculate. Why are we on Harden Island? Why do so uh, many people hate him? Because well, he's unlikable. I think it started with his game initially, right? It was just an unlikable game to begin with. You know, relying, not relying, but getting to the free throw line for, uh, frequently and very often. Uh, that is deemed, I think, as I don't know if lazy is the right term, but part of your game is relying on the officials. And I think people don't really like that. So I think his game when he was with Houston, especially, just wasn't something that a lot of people liked to ingest. And then you, and you factor in the way it ended in Houston. Uh, and then, of course, the way it ended in Brooklyn, which I, I think you can separate the game from the guy who's playing the game, right? The way he ended in Brooklyn and Houston, not things I can really like. But in terms of his game, like, he's absolutely fantastic. And I think that's just what it is. I think his style was not likable at first. And then he did those things that I think people view as petulant. And then here you and I are with, like, six other people uh, on the island where it's like, uh, guys, we have the tweets in which you were calling him cooked. Like, we remember all of this. And he's not cooked. He just didn't want to be there. Well, doesn't that say something about him, though? Couldn't the same thing happen here eventually? Sure, but who cares? I mean, it's this year that we're talking about, right? Like, maybe it could happen. But, I mean, if you're going to do this for the third stop, the stop that you allegedly wanted to be here the whole time, like, at some point he hurts his career to the point where maybe he's untouchable at him. But, I mean, when we're talking about this season and going into next season, I, I mean, I don't think it really matters if we're talking about just handicapping what this year could be and what next year could be. Because also, I mean, in one defense of Harden, not the way that he handled it, but in terms of him going to Brooklyn, what he expected to join was Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and being the third guy. Again, his numbers dictated that he was actually willing to be a facilitator when those two were on the floor with him. Shot attempts were down. The assist rate was up. Usage was down. Like He was willing to be that third wheel. But then all of a sudden, last year happens, and sure, he takes on the load. He has an MVP-type campaign through the first 33 games. He gets injured. We know how last year ends. Then you get to this year, and Kyrie Irving doesn't want to get the vaccine. He's unavailable. Kevin Durant doesn't get hurt. And all of a sudden, he's dragging Blake you know, Blake Griffin's corpse around in Brooklyn with Patty Mills. And he's like, wait a minute. Like, this is what I signed up for. Like, My third option is James Johnson? Like, what, What's happening right now? And, and so I, I think that's kind of what turned him off from the Brooklyn situation. And ultimately, we're at here. So you know, does, does he divorce himself from Embiid in like two seasons? Who knows? But I think if we're talking about this season and next season, if you could fully engage James Harden, I mean, that's a team to be reckoned with. Is it is it sad that the DeAndre Jordan era is over for the Lakers? Uh, I mean, no, for DeAndre Jordan, no, because I think the 76ers are going to give him a call. They desperately need a backup center. Uh, Paul Millsap is their like their backup center at this point right now, and that's not really working out. So for DeAndre Jordan, he'll land somewhere. Uh, for the Los Angeles Lakers, I mean, I guess uh, the the Levitard show had a great bit where they were talking about DeAndre Jordan maybe being the best friend that's ever been in existence, considering the jobs that he's gotten because of the friendships that he's had along the way, right? The uh, Clippers going out to Dallas and essentially locking him in until he decided to go back to the Los Angeles Clippers that free agency year. Uh, the Nets, right, signing him because Kevin Durant wanted him as part of the starting lineup. Uh, but I think, I mean, I don't know, the Lakers won't survive because they're really bad, but I, I think things will move on in Los Angeles without him. 
We'll hope so. JBT is with us. Vsin, you can hear him every day at one o'clock. Any big announcements coming up, John? What's going on? Anything? Come on. Uh, well, uh, we have a new show in the VSIN lineup with yours truly oh. uh, Sunday nights, Hardwood Handicappers. It's going to be 6 p.m. for those of you in Las Vegas. You can watch on the VSIN app or iHeartRadio. I think that's free, so you can check that out. Or it's available after the show for free wherever you get your podcast. That's 100% uh, free. So, yeah, it's uh, just two hour NBA show with uh, me, myself, and I. And I, I, we had our first episode on Sunday. Thought it went pretty well. My mom at least told me it did. So, you know, I think it's gone well so far. That's that's the important stuff. Sure. Uh, college basketball upheaval this weekend. I think it's going to be like that in the NCAA tournament. I don't see any guaranteed faves to get all the way through to the Final Four. So I, I think it's going to be like that to a degree when we're talking about like the top 15-ish teams in the country. But I think we, we have to take into like what happened over the weekend, right? So we get the top six teams in the AP top 25 to lose on Saturday. Number one, Gonzaga at St. Mary's. Number, uh, number two, Arizona at Colorado. Uh, number three, Auburn at number 17, Tennessee. Purdue at Michigan State. Kansas at Baylor. Kentucky at Arkansas. I think you can kind of go where you see where I'm going with this. All of them were on the road. And I think in college basketball, as you guys well know uh, of any sport, I think home court is worth a lot and it is very valuable. And teams, you know, we see them all the time. Auburn is one of the best examples. They haven't been a very good team on the road this year. Uh, one of the biggest uh, examples of that is their tooth and nail fight with Georgia, right? What, two, three, four weeks ago, I think. Uh, but regardless, you know, teams tend to struggle on the road. Look at Texas Tech, one of the best home court teams. I think they're 17 0 at home this year, straight up, but they're one and four as a road favorite this year. It just in college basketball, it's hard to play on the road. So if I, I'm just saying that if you're taking away from this Saturday, man, I'm looking at 201 long shots to win this thing. I don't think that's really the case. I think it's more so home court advantage is really strong in college basketball, but these teams one through, I think like 20 are pretty closely rated. And I wouldn't be surprised if any of the one through 20, you know, made a final four run, if that's fair. And John, I, I forget this every year, but like teams that are, like right at the top, and Gonzaga sticks out in my mind for some reason, but I feel like they always have a hard time covering and even winning like that last game of the regular season where they're, they're like, all right, it's time for the conference tournament. We're going to move on. And Gonzaga, it was their last game. They Their effort was subpar, and it was like, all right, it's time for the postseason to start. And I feel like it happens a lot, and I think we can watch it this coming weekend with some teams that are playing their last game, but certainly to keep in mind in the future, especially Gonzaga with a week ahead of everybody else, like that last game is a game to play against teams like that. Yeah, and I think, too, there's a couple of things that just – like that's game specifically, Adam, when it came to Gonzaga. First off, I mean, St. Mary's has kind of been like the rival in the West Coast Conference, right? Like those have been two of the better programs in the conference. Uh, they have played games that have mattered quite a bit, met in Western uh, West Coast Conference, uh, either finals or semifinals, games that have really mattered. So it's a pretty solid rivalry spot. And on top of that, I think that was like – it, it, it's been a good chunk of road games for Gonzaga, but they haven't played a lot. Like they went from December 20th all the way through January 29th playing one true road game. And then from February 3rd to this last game against St. Mary's, uh, they play what five road games. And, and like, so I think it's, it's kind of hard to go to this like road heavy part of the schedule for a team like Gonzaga, even though they're really good, you know, it's still tough in college hoops. And think about the spots that, you know, they had gone to like Santa Clara, people might not realize it's a pretty good basketball program. And while they won that one 80 to 69 to play that, to play San Francisco on the road, and then to follow that up two days later, then to go to St. Mary's, that's a tough grind for college kids. And I think that needs to be remembered. Do you have a couple of long shots you're going to fire on in college basketball? Well, I want to get your thoughts, your guys' thoughts on them. So I've got uh, I got Texas Tech at forty to one. I just I like this Texas Tech team. They're down to like twenty five to one at some spots. I, I love the way they play defensively. They're not the best offensive team, but you do have guys who can score in certain situations, like a Terrence Shannon type. I just I was a value grab, and I figured the number would shrink, and it has. 
And I, I, look, Arkansas has been playing really good basketball. And over at Circa, you can get him at 55 to 1. I just bet him. Eric Musselman, as we know, has deep tournament runs under his belt as a coach. Uh, those are two that I have right now, but I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on them because you're the college basketball savants. But I, I, those are my two value grabs going into conference tournament week. A little sad that it's, it's gone down a little bit because they've had you know a couple wins um, and playing, playing better. But I got Illinois at a pretty good number, and I think yeah. they're still 20. Uh, which is not bad for a team that I think could absolutely win the title. Your guy, what Brad Underwood. What about Muspas? I don't mind it. I mean, I, I I like their style of play, and then as as John has mentioned, he's he's taken teams on runs before, uh, and I think they have the talent to be able to do that. Uh, so at that kind of number, that looks very impressive. John, have you recalibrated your thoughts on UNLV after watching him play against Boise and their shot to win the Mountain West Conference tournament? Uh, well, so here's the thing, and I sent this in facetiously. If you've watched UNLV the last couple of weeks, and I don't think there's any denying that the, run, the Rebels have gotten better, right, it's, uh, over the last, like, three weeks, four weeks or so. And I got to watch them courtside with Adam when they played Colorado State, uh, what, two Saturdays ago. It's extremely impressive watching them up close. But this was a team you could have gotten about 35-1 to 1 to win the Mountain West Conference Tournament uh, two weeks ago, a little bit less. Now they're in the range of that 12-15-1 to 15 to 1 shot. So you've lost out on a little bit, and I think that's always – Remember, if when you're out there, these numbers are hung relatively early. You know, Circa hung these up at the beginning of February. You can start shopping around then for conference tournament title shots, things like that. Uh, you always want to be ahead of the curve, not behind it. And so I always laugh when people are like, what's the value shot here or there or anything? You know, I, I heard um, today the Boston Celtics are a great value shot at 9-1 to one to win the Eastern Conference. I got them at 66-1 to one two weeks ago <laughs> to win the NBA Finals. So, like, it's just – it's always keep in mind – you know, when you know it, they know it. It's what I always say. And more more times than not in futures, you're behind the eight ball because you're not getting the value that you should. So while the Rebels might actually make a run here in the tournament, I think they could, you're not getting the value that you should at this point. John, we appreciate it. Thank you. Good to talk to you guys. JVT. Sure. Beeson. One o'clock, the edge. I think you're starting to see with the Rebels kind of who they are and who they match up well against. So they took out one of the top teams twice. Right? Swept Colorado State. Well, what does Colorado State have a guard? Right? Well, a fast six, point guard. Six foot, you know, 160 pound Kendall Moore, 6'1, 190 Isaiah Stevens. What does Boise have at guard? Giants. Right? So Marcus Shaver, it's a good downhill guy, and they had a tough time covering him. But the other guys handling the ball at the two and three, and sometimes at the one, are 6'8, Emmanuel Acott. Six seven two thirty, Abu Kijab. You know, even Max Rice, who stinks, but you know can hit a three here and there. He's six five. Um, San Diego State, they had a tough time matching up against, right? Well, San Diego State, even their little guards are like two hundred pounds. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're they can play a lineup where they've got, you know, three guys in excess, sometimes four guys in excess is six six. It's the bigger teams. The problem with the Rebels, I think, is that they have a tough time forcing other teams to go small consistently, and that's what they need them to do. And they just can't take enough advantage of big lineups. And I, against Boise, I, one of the biggest problems, I think, uh, the fact that Victor uh, Iwako, he was he he was so aggressive on defense that he took himself out of the game. He played seven minutes. He yeah. fouled out. And he's, uh, and he's, they have to have him on the boards and defensively because he's versatile where he can play. Like, he's a good guy to match up against Acott and Key Jab. But he got in early foul trouble and – I think they really couldn't recover because they, they, then they have to go too small. And they have to stress to him, like, you can't make up for the time you missed in right. like every game. Like, you just got to take each game for what it is.
Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.